You are listening to Taking Up Space. CFUV 101.9 FM's intersectional feminist podcast, broadcasting from Victoria. We acknowledge with respect the Lekwungen and Sanchothan-speaking peoples on whose traditional territory this podcast was produced, and the Songhees, Esquimalt, and Wasanage peoples whose historical relationships with the land continue to this day. I just want to let everyone listening know that today's episode deals with matters of abuse and might be triggering for some. If that's the case, then mental health comes first, so if you feel overwhelmed at any time, please feel free to take a break from this episode. Welcome back to Taking Up Space. I'm Sarah Solman, the producer, and this week is part two in the continuation of last week's episode where we deep-dived into allegations of abuse at the Royal Winnipeg Ballet. If you haven't listened to that episode, I would go take a look because all of that information is going to inform the conversation we are about to have. We left off on a cliffhanger as we learned that in 2017, it was making rounds in the local news that Bruce Monk was working at Ballet Victoria. Before we really progress into today's episode, it is important to note that comments you are about to hear are allegations. Now, I don't say this to discredit the claims brought forth by the women who you will hear on this episode. These are articulate women who are very clear on their personal experiences and brave to come forward and speak on a topic that historically many women have been discredited on. I say this because the art of podcasting is not journalism. We are here to have a conversation. I reached out to Ballet Victoria and they have chosen to respond with a statement, which I will get to in a little bit, but what it essentially means is that one party is absent from the conversation, and for accuracy's sake, that is important to note. Now, with that being said, we can get back into it. Two years after Bruce Monk was formally let go from the Royal Winnipeg Ballet, and acquitted on all charges. In 2017, it became known publicly that he was doing volunteer and contract work choreographing at Ballet Victoria. A CBC article released on October 30th, 2017, titled Fired Ballet Staffer Bruce Monk, now at Ballet Victoria. It stated Sarah Doucette, one of the women we spoke to on the last episode, reached out to Ballet Victoria's board to notify them when she saw a photo of Monk dancing with a female dance member. The artistic director of Ballet Victoria, Paul Destruper, gave comment. He stated that he was aware of the allegations, but because of his acquittal, coupled with the fact that he said all the dancers would be adults, and he wouldn't be an employee, he felt that it was fine. He said, quote, I'm standing up for someone no one will stand up for, and I'm not standing up, I'm actually stating facts. I'm stating the simple truth and the simple reality. I trust him." Unquote. Paul DeStruper also conveyed that he was aware that his decision was going to garner backlash, but as I just quoted, it was a decision that he believed was fair and right. He was correct in his assumption because just two days later, on November 1st, 2017, another article came out. The article from the Times Colonist, titled Choreographer Who Was Subject of Police Probe No Longer with Ballet Victoria, reported that Ballet Victoria had cut ties with Monk. The statement read, To ensure the integrity of the company, Bruce Monk will no longer be involved with Ballet Victoria. 
these stories stopped coming out in 2017 and there hasn't been anything past that. And to tell you the truth, when I was researching this case, I wasn't even looking at Ballet Victoria. I was just looking at the Royal Winnipeg Ballet. And through the network of talking to people, there was a woman who messaged me. And her name was Kayla. I guess you could just introduce me as Kayla. That's fine. <laughs> the time in which Kayla joined Ballet Victoria overlapped with the period that Bruce Monk was working there in 2014. Um, I joined Ballet Victoria in August 2014, and I joined as an aspirant, which is kind of like an apprentice, so you're not um, a full-on company member, and you aren't getting paid to be there, but you're still dancing with the company. Interesting. And um, I think before we further progress into today's episode, we need to revisit the kernel of this story. It is a story of the problems faced with challenging certain behaviors tied to age-old institutions, especially when those accepted behaviors lead to abuse. Ballet is an age-old institution. It originates back to the 15th century during the Italian Renaissance. It is a rigid, disciplined, beautiful art form that is built on tradition. And what Kayla is about to explain are the problems faced with challenging those traditions and behaviors that are practically enmeshed with this discipline. The first being the blurred line between criticism, which is very common in ballet, and what Kayla alleges she experienced at Ballet Victoria, workplace harassment. As a dancer, anyone familiar in ballet will know that it's really tough. It's really, really hard. You're getting criticism all the time you're never perfect so there's always something to work on um so in a way it's normal you expect feedback um but i think what's not normal is just the the beat down and like you know if if you really didn't enjoy my dancing why did you hire me in the first place you know what and i because mean because i sense? feel like workplace harassment isn't a topic that gets nearly as much attention as it should I think it would be helpful before I pass it off to Kayla to give a clear definition. It is improper conduct by an individual that is directed at and offensive to another individual in the workplace, including at any event or any location related to work, and that that individual knew or ought reasonably to have known would cause offense or harm. So... I think like hindsight is 2020 obviously um I think with all the experience I have today I would have noticed a lot of problems within the first week of me being there um but I was very young and I didn't have a lot of experience actually I had no experience in a professional setting and um you know I was really wanting to work and kind of insecure and um, nervous to be there. So um, the first week was really tough. Bruce Monk was there. He was setting a few pieces on us. So we were learning that the first week. And I was kind of like um, bombarded with a lot of corrections from Paul Destrooper, our director. Um, he really wanted me to change my dancing a lot um and Bruce even said to me 
um, you know, Paul and I talk about you and we love the student but hate the teacher. And what he meant by that was that he felt my training was inadequate. So they made it very clear that I had a lot of work to do and I wasn't up to standard. And um, for me now, I find that to be a red flag. I think, you know, if a dancer's not up to standard, why would you bring them on? I kind of feel like that was a way of putting me down and making me feel really insecure. And as weeks went on, at this point, Bruce had left. And as weeks went on, Paul would say, you know, you have not improved one iota. Like You haven't improved at all. Nothing is changing. It's not working. You know, so it got really discouraging really fast. We started working on the ballet Dracula and we were kind of like the female vampires and we were supposed to be mysterious and sexy. And that was really, I think for me, that was like the first moment where I was like, this is getting really bad because he would say like, Oh, nothing is sexier than a hollow stomach and you should look like you're a good lover. And um, he started saying I had a tuna belly because tunas have fat bellies. He would say that about me. You have a tuna belly, makes you suck it in. Nothing is sexier than a hollow stomach. So like these comments just started coming on over and over and over. And yeah, I, I think at that point, even though it was gradually getting there, that's when I realized this is really bad. There were some moments where I remember saying to myself, like, pardon my profanity, but just like, holy shit, like, I cannot stand this. You know, it was really hard, not just on me, but also, um, like, being part of the rehearsal room and having Paul yell at another dancer until she cries or, like, you know, being witness to that makes you very uncomfortable because you think, oh, my God, he's going to yell at me next. Like, I'm next. You know, it, it so it really quickly started to become this walking on eggshells kind of environment. You never wanted to upset him or do something wrong. And Kayla describes that as time went on, the harassment took on a more physical tone. Yeah, like, this is another moment where it kind of, like, one of my, like, worst times there. Um, he would never cast me in any dance that had pas de deux because he always said I was too weak to do it. And, you know, as the year went on, I danced less and less in the shows. So he made it pretty clear how he thought of my dancing, obviously not good enough. So I didn't get to perform any pas de deux, but sometimes in the studio we would practice and he would ask me to practice with him. And I would notice, you know, he pushed me off my leg. So if it doesn't make sense to like the average person, it's just like, if I'm on point standing on one leg, I need my partner to help me just stay on my center so I don't fall over. And I noticed he would like push me off. So I kind of fall down or he would like intentionally mess up a dance movement we were doing so that it wouldn't work. And then he'd say, see, it's because you're not doing this. Um, and then beyond just dancing together, it kind of escalated into um, you know, pushing me out of the way. So like he would say, oh, you were in my way. That's why I pushed you, you know, and I, I wouldn't be in anyone's way. I would just be standing there totally still doing nothing. And he would push me aside, you know, and 
it's it was hard to prove after a while if he was doing it on purpose or if I was really in the way. Like I started to really doubt myself. And the one point that was like the worst time he pushed me was after a fundraising show, I was talking to some guests and they were really pleased with the show and they said, we really enjoyed your dancing. And I said, thank you. And we're just chatting and laughing. And then out of the blue, I get shoved so hard. I, I nearly fall over and it's Paul. And he says, you were about to run into that old woman. I was just taking care of the old woman. I was just making sure you didn't run into her. And I was so embarrassed because I was like mid conversation with these guests who enjoyed the show and I, I was embarrassed and I, I just, I felt really humiliated and also like hurt. Like it, it sucks to be pushed around point blank by anyone. And I just couldn't believe I was in this position in my life where I'm literally getting pushed around by my boss. Like I just felt really low at that time. In an article I found on workplace harassment, Chris Chancy is quoted as saying that many victims of workplace harassment do not report it out of fear, and others are unsure of what conduct constitutes harassment. Quote, some behaviors, albeit making someone uncomfortable, can seem so harmless, there are no physical signs of abuse, that few people want to report them for fear of being seen as petty, or as a snitch. In some cases, the fear is of legal repercussions. And that is why the next person that we are going to speak to wishes to remain anonymous. Um, I guess it's tough to say when exactly uh, things seemed not good. Uh, certainly, like the first month and a bit were okay. There were some little things here or there, um, like comments being made that I was like, ah, oh, that's kind of weird. And some behaviors in the studio that I, you know, didn't like, but wasn't worth noting. Um, and then when we started working on our Christmas show, that's when it, like things got worse and um, sort of like all the little behaviors and kind of comments that were sort of, you know, weird or annoying at the beginning became exaggerated like it just became like tensions were higher and everything was just like bad and I mean it's it was a few years ago now so it's hard for me to remember exactly what happened um but there are some things that stand out in my mind like I mean just inappropriate comments made in the studio like about dancers to other dancers um like sexual comments uh, comments about people's like personal lives and like their own personal choices that don't impact um, like your performance or your ability to work in the studio and he would also like the director would also make comments about um, like about us especially we were the aspirant dancers so the newer ones um, that weren't on like a full paid contract um, especially about us and like to other people, like to people that were not in the company. Um, there was one day when we were rehearsing for our December show that he referred to all of the aspiring dancers, and I think there were four or five of us at the time, um, as a bunch of lazy cows in front of children that were working with us. Um, 
and comments like that would be made to like guest teachers that would come in. He would make comments like that in front of people that had come, would come in to watch rehearsal, like potential donors and stuff like this. It was, it was really weird. Um, and it just created this sort of environment of like, just on well general unpleasantness but you know really feeling like any you're constantly exposed to ridicule and like you know i think my friend and i we talked about how basically we were like walking on eggshells um because anything you said or did could you could become like the butt of some joke um and even if it had nothing to do with like your your work um, in the studio. Was there behavior from Paul the Super that made you not only um, dislike him because of the comments he was saying to you, but um, made you not respect him as a teacher? Um, yeah, I mean, I always, you know, I, I believe that I mean, respect is such a, it's a word that has a lot of meaning and everything. I would say that, you know, I believe that you, you should always treat people with respect. Um, I really believe that. And, but there comes, there came a point where I was like, I, I didn't respect him anymore because I, I was not being respected and I was exhausted and really worn down. Um, I remember I it was, I think, partway through the year, I was talking to my dad about it a bit, you know, about how I wasn't doing well. And, and my parents could tell that I was not okay um, when I would come home to visit. And he and my dad said, was like, well, do you respect him, like Paul? And I said, no. He's like, well, if you don't respect him, how is he going to respect you? And I was like, well, I, I was really upset by that comment because by that point, I can't remember what point of the year it was, I think at least after Christmas, I was like it's been I've been beaten down really and like I you know it's it's not fair to me to ask me to to keep doing that um but I guess specifically about your question like I think the fact that um I mean he was rude and that's not necessarily abuse but when you're just consistently rude to your employees um, and to your fellow colleagues, I mean, I don't think that's appropriate. Um, he, I mean, the sexual innuendos, you know, that's certainly not appropriate for the studio. Um, he would have tantrums, like, like actually, like lose his shit. Pardon me, and in the studio, and I'm like, that's not, that's not professional behavior. And then he would bag on us about being professional. And so it was, it was really hard to like maintain uh, a general understanding of respect for him when his behavior was just so poor. Like, he, honestly, he's a child, um, in my opinion. You had been in a couple dance studios beforehand. I know that the ballet world is very, um, there's a lot of intrigue and a lot of a lot of unhealthy behavior um but had you ever experienced anything like this prior to coming to ballet victoria um no so i where i trained growing up it was very like recreational casual school um 
uh, everybody was super supportive. It was like, you know, everybody can dance, that kind of thing. Um, when I graduated high school and I went to a different studio in Vancouver, um, it was definitely more competitive. Um, there was more, I sort of became more aware of like my body and like what was considered, um, like what it should look like and shouldn't look like and all that kind of thing. But um, that was more, if anything, the sort of comparisons and comments came from amongst the dancers themselves. Like it's it's a pretty, I would say generally toxic environment for for like body image issues and that kind of thing. But generally I find it comes from, I mean, it comes from sort of these existing expectations and it's really hard to point fingers at any one person because it's part of the culture. Um, but certainly from like leadership at other studios I've been at, um, comments were made on our bodies, yes, because that's sort of, that's what your art is. Um, but it really didn't feel the same. Even when I had a director in the past, like before coming to Valley Victoria, who would make comments about my personal life, but in a really, um, like, it, it was a really lighthearted, like kind of joking manner. And I could tell that it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, it didn't have malicious intent behind it. Um, and it was, it was um, like, it, I would say it still crossed a line, but it didn't affect me the way that uh, comments made at Valley Victoria did. And I think it was because I, I knew, I sort of had trust and respect for the person who made those comments. Um, so it, it was just different. Um, was, there, was there behavior? Another quality about the ballet world that makes it so difficult for perpetrators of workplace harassment to be held accountable is the highly competitive and immersive nature. A quality that Serena McCarroll touched on in episode one, and one that Kayla found worse in the situation that she was in. Did he ever like do that in front of other um, castmates? Like, did he ever scream at you in in the middle of a class or something? Oh yeah, for sure. It was always in front of everybody, oh. and that's what made it worse. It's so humiliating to be told in front of everyone, like, you're fat, you have cheese on the back of your legs, and you're out of shape, and you're weak, and you're stupid, and you must not have worn your glasses today. Like, just comments like that all the time in front of everyone else, it was so degrading, and it kind of, it put me in such a low rank with all the other people. I felt like you know, I did have some friends there, but yeah, I think in general, everyone just treated me like the weak link because that's how Paul treated me. Oh, wow. Yeah. So everyone kind of followed suit. Yeah. Whether it was intentional or not. And I don't think it was a personal thing. Like they had anything personally against me, but they're just kind of following along. Like, yeah, Kayla's probably the weakest one, you know, like you just kind of, go along with what your leader is saying yeah and i can i can imagine that if you're in ballet you're you're training many many hours a day that that kind of becomes your your world absolutely it does you know we were dancing hours a day every single day and then if we were in the middle of shows you're working even more like you're performing every night or traveling and then performing 
So my world was dance. And luckily, I also worked on the side. And that was like, my safe place was working in my restaurant. (laughs) Because those people were so good to me in contrast to what I was experiencing at dance. So thankfully, that was like my saving grace that year. Yeah. And so so you left the following year in 2015? Yeah, so I left in 2015, I believe around April. Um, I actually left early. I didn't finish the season and I didn't perform in the last show that we did. Um, It had just gotten so bad. Like it it ended with us rehearsing a piece and he wanted um, me to be part of the piece, but to do the choreography in an ugly way. And I, I just felt so particularly insulted by that like oh you're gonna give me the bad version of it because I can't do the pretty version what does that even and what does that even mean the like (laughs) like like almost like a jester what was he trying to get you to do I I mean it was basically like you know a line of girls would do this choreography as it was meant to be so you know it's classical ballet it's expressive it's beautiful it's lyrical and then he wanted me to do it and I I think another girl but I don't remember now he wanted me to do it in a way that was thrashy and hard and ugly and like and it really didn't go with the music either because the music was very like like light piano soft and he wanted me to do it really ugly and to me I just I saw right through it. I was like, this is just an insult. Like, why would you want to put me out there doing that? You're just trying to embarrass me. And I, I kind of had a yelling meltdown. I said that he was an awful person <laughs> and that he was ruining me. Like, he was just making me feel so bad. And then he called me into his office. Me and two other girls had... A meeting with him it lasted over an hour we just sat there talking about all our grievances with each other and then he asked me are you going to finish the season are you going to finish and I said I don't know I need to think about it and I left and the next morning I came and I told him I wasn't going to dance there anymore what was his reaction um in the office like was he like that sounds so weird did he get what he want did he get what he wanted or was he really angry with you or um well when he pulled us into the office to talk for that hour he seemed to be satisfied with what he got from the other girls in that room they seemed to kind of like reach a good compromise where they realized that where he realized sorry that that day was a bad day and he didn't handle it well and they felt better hashing it out in that way and they could move on and then he turned to me and then he said how about you are you going to finish the season and I just said I don't know because I I knew that I didn't want to but I didn't want to tell him in that moment I just so I don't know if he like got what he wanted out of that conversation And the next day when I told him I wasn't going to come back and that I was done, he seemed kind of like irritated with me. And 
he claimed that I was late for our meeting in the morning, which I wasn't. <laughs> it was really weird. Um, and then we just went our separate ways. He sent me an email after confirming that I would not continue the season and he wished me the best. And that was it. Have you spoken? Kayla wasn't the only dancer who left their season early. Another question that has to be addressed is what rights do dancers have when they get injured? And does decreased ability or the need for rest constitute decreased respect in the workplace? There was this sort of, there was this culture in the studio that we weren't allowed to rest, um, that we had to always be rehearsing or practicing or if, if like if it wasn't lunchtime and it wasn't a scheduled break, we had to be on our feet and, and working. And so it made it difficult. Um, and that's not a necessarily unrealistic expectation in studios. I'm like, I haven't been in a ton of different professional environments, so I don't know, but it sort of, it wasn't, you know, generally in other places I've been, it's like, okay, you can, if it's not your rehearsal, if you're not rehearsing, your section isn't like, isn't being practiced, then you can, you know, you should be either going over your, your steps or like maybe stretching or taking notes, you know, that kind of thing. Whereas the expectation is that we were on our feet all day and and working and, and it wasn't sustainable for me to do that while I was injured. Um, so part of it come December was okay, you know, I'm I'm in quite a bit of pain and it's not getting better. So maybe this isn't working for me. Um, but another part of it was just like I would walk into the studio every day and just feel this sense of dread, like preparing myself to be uh, like mocked and, um, you know, manipulated every day. Uh, I was afraid to like, I was afraid to ask questions like, when do we have to be at the theater tomorrow? Or um, when are we leaving like to go on tour? Like, what you know, should we, what do we have to bring? Who's packing, you know, these basic questions that, you know, we needed to know to do our job. Um, I would ask these questions and be treated like an idiot. Like we talked about this already, even when I knew we hadn't. And when talking to other dancers, like, did this come up already? Like, did I just miss something? They would say, no, like we haven't talked about it. So it was just like, everything was, we were being set up to fail was kind of how it felt. Like you couldn't ask questions to try and help your dancing or to just try and make the day go smoother because you know, we were idiots for doing so. Um, and I was, I was no longer myself. Like I wasn't really, I wasn't eating properly because I was, I felt like I was gaining weight and I didn't know why. And so I started to eat less and un, and unhealthily. Um, I was, I would just like at lunch, go and get a coffee and just drink coffee for lunch. And then I had to work another job as well to pay the bills. Like I, I became depressed and, um, you know, I was like, okay, over Christmas, I felt like, um, I felt, okay, maybe, maybe I should leave. Right. Cause this isn't going well, but there's this, this whole other idea, um, when you're dancing that like, this is all part of it. 
right? Like you believe like you have to do this to be able to make it like quote unquote, make it. Um, and like, you have to be strong. You have to tough it out. You just have to, this is all the kind of shit you have to deal with, um, to be a good dancer. And so, you know, it, it was admitting defeat to leave. And, um, I was like, no. And, and it sort of felt like it's letting him win was a bit the, the mentality that I got into, even as I like, I don't know. I felt like a zombie. I, I didn't feel anything. Um, after Christmas, I just became numb. Uh, I couldn't be upset anymore. I wasn't happy. I wasn't sad. I, I didn't know what to do. And so as you know, I came back after Christmas kind of, we had, how did we have like a week off or something? maybe two weeks off. I can't remember. Um, I was thinking, okay, things will get better. You know, they just have to, and they didn't. And, and it just, I became more depressed. Uh, I was still in increasingly like I was in a lot of pain. And by the time April rolled around, I could barely like point my feet because I had now tendonitis in both, both ankles. And the reason why I hadn't stopped earlier and taken a break was because I thought, okay, if I asked to take a break or take some time off to like take care of myself, I just, I had a feeling he would just say leave, right? Like whatever, give up, we don't need you. Um, so on April 1st, when I approached him and I said, Hey, like I am dealing with a lot right now with like my body and I, I'm going to finish the run of shows. We were in the middle of a run of our, of a performance. So we were doing a bunch of shows and I said, I'm, I can finish the shows, but after that, I think I'm going to need to take a break. Like I need to. And he said, just go, just go now. And I was like, what? Like, I'm no, I'm, I want to finish the shows. Like I'm, I can do it. And he was like, just leave. Like you're barely dancing now anyway. Like, you're basically the idea was like, you're no use to us or to me. So just leave. And like, I don't care. Um, and so I left, uh, it's, I wanted to have this big dramatic, like walk out of the studio and never return, but I was still teaching for the school there. So that didn't really work, but, um, yeah, I stopped dancing that day. Um, and Yeah, I I was pretty much a mess. Um, I ended at some point I went home to my doctor, and she suggested I go on antidepressants, um, but also suggested I go to see a counselor first. And. Um, so I managed to find a counselor, like a sort of low cost counselor in Victoria, um, before, cause I had my lease on the place I was living until May, the end of May. And so I had to kind of stick it out in Victoria until then. Um, and so I found a counselor in Victoria and talked to, talked to her a bit about my experience. And it was only when I was articulating my experience to, to this counselor and, you know, about how I was feeling and everything and she, that she said, well, you know, that is an emotionally abusive situation. 
Um, and, and I was like, what? Like, I didn't understand. Like I hadn't, I didn't know what that meant or like what it meant for me or what it meant for my experience. And it, it's taken a long, it took a long time to like unpack that and, and to realize sort of what, what I, I kind of thought like when I left the studio in April, I was like, this is the way the conclusion I came to after a couple months was this is the way the dance world is. Um, I don't want that. I don't like, I loved, I love dance more than anything in my entire life. Like it, it broke my heart to leave. Um, but I was like, I can't operate in a world that treats me like that. Or if that's the way it's going to be, like, I can't, I can't do it. Like, I just can't. It's not, I don't know. It, it, it's not that it wasn't worth it. It's just like, I literally am breaking myself, my body, my mind, and it, it wasn't okay. And so I just, I thought everywhere was going to be like that. And it wasn't until, um, speaking to, to my friend Kayla, actually, as she moved on and, and went to Toronto and, and dance other places that I realized that it was, doesn't have to be like that always. Um, and for the past year and a bit, I've been trying to figure out a way to speak about it, about what happened. Um, I was, first of all, I was hurting and confused about like what happened and what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and so eventually I, I started moving on. I, I went back to school and I started working um, in a cafe and I've done some traveling. And then last year I was, you know, Kayla and I, we don't live in the same city anymore, but we still talk and, and, and every now and then and we, we talked about, you know, like we really wanted to, we really wanted to share what happened because we believe it's not okay. And, you know, that company, like Valley Victoria, is a place where there are young, impressionable people. And I'm worried that I, I don't want, it was bothering me that other people could be facing the same experience and I wasn't doing anything about it. Um, and so we reached out to the Dancer Transition Resource Center uh, last year, I believe, like last December. Um, and sort of we're looking for help like what should we do um the i believe it was the executive director there at the time reached out to valley victoria and their board of directors um sort of anonymous anonymously explaining our situation and and suggesting that you know looking for what what their plan was to address like bad behavior and apparently they had training or whatever but the problem is, I mean, at least when I was at Valley Victoria, the board of directors was bullied by the director just as much as the dancers were. Um, so it's not really a, a body that sort of holds the director accountable. Um, Who does hold the director accountable? I'm so curious. Well, it should be the board of directors. Um, but, I mean, from what I witnessed and experienced while I was there, they're they don't have the ability to stand up to him either. Um, I wasn't super involved in all the politics of that. Um, but I just know that when we were there and when we attempted to find a way to like 
address the behavioral issues that were going on in the studio, there was really no avenue for us. The only person we were told to talk to was a friend of the director. And we were like, well, <laughs> that's not going to work, is it? Um, so it, the board of directors should hold the director accountable or like the executive director should hold the artistic director accountable or something like that. Sorry, there's like a truck outside. It's okay. We'll add ambience. But I mean, in this case, in the small in the small company, often the artistic director and the executive director are the same person, which is the case at Ballet Victoria, and um, and then the board of directors. What didn't? There was no confidence. We didn't have any confidence in the board of directors actually being able to do anything about our situation. Um, they were basically. I don't know. They, it's, it's, I don't want to say like on his side, because that sounds very petty, but they were basically like, there was no, there's no one to turn to. There was no one to turn to that we could really trust to sort of anonymous, anonymously convey our concerns in a way that would actually lead to any, any sort of change um, without it then being, without it then coming back worse on the dancers. Um, because any sort of, concerns that were brought forward he became very defensive about and would just sort of double down on his bad behavior in the studio um so it quickly became clear that it was just better if we stayed quiet and like made the best of whatever situation we were in um so that happened last year we like approaching the dancer transition resource center and, and seeing if they could do anything um the uh the person at the DTRC then approached the board of directors at Ballet Victoria and said, you know, they had received some kind of training. Um, the person at the Dancer Transition Resource Center then asked, like, is there anything else that that we wanted her to do? And we were like, well, I don't know. There's not really much at this point. And it's been something that's been on my mind um, since then, really, is like, you know, how do I share my story? Uh, can I share my story? I approached the Dancer Transition Resource Center again over the summer, uh, this summer, summer 2019. You know, it was like, I want to say something. I want to speak up. Um, but I'm still afraid. I'm afraid of, of, you know, Paul taking legal action against me. I don't have the money to be to have a lawyer and like go to court or whatever. Like I can't be sued for LaBelle or defamation. Um, but it, and it makes me so mad because I'm like, how does anybody speak their truth? Um, how does anybody anywhere share their stories of, of workplace violence and abuse? If you know, you're just like, what do you do? You have no option. Um, and so really what I want is I'm looking for a way to tell, I mean, to tell dancers like this kind of behavior, this work environment is not okay. You don't have to put up with this shit. Like it's not, it's not what makes you a good dancer. It's not what makes it a good place to work. Um, and I think really since the Me Too movement started a couple of years ago, we're seeing at least sort of, across social media some some sort of changes happening in w different workplace environments you know we've seen it in gymnastics 
in the movie industry, in some sports as well. But the dance world, it's so locked up. Like, huge stuff has come out of New York City Ballet. And, um, and like, still people just sort of quietly disappear and things are pushed under the rug and stepped aside and we continue all on business as usual. Um, you know, it's, it's way past time that dancers realize that this is art, this, but you don't have to, I hate the idea of sacrificing yourself for your art and like literally destroying yourself, like body, mind, and soul to be a dancer. Like that's, we're way past the time when that should be appropriate. So if they had reached out to the Dancers Transition Network and to the Board of Ballet Victoria to no result, what other steps could be taken? I also reached out to the Board of Ballet Victoria just to give them a chance to comment on the situation and to see if Paul DeStruper wanted to speak on the topic um, or say anything on his behalf. So I'm going to read you that interaction right now. Um, so first I'll start with my email that I sent just so you know what they were responding to. Hi, Mr. Distrooper. My name is Sarah Solomon, and I am a producer at CFUV, a campus-based community radio station located on the University of Victoria's campus. I am currently working on a story on abuse in ballet companies. This story began due to alleged abuse at the Royal Winnipeg Ballet. During my research, I was contacted by former dancers at Ballet Victoria who have made allegations regarding inappropriate work conduct and harassment in the studio at Ballet Victoria. I am reaching out to you to offer you the opportunity to comment on the situation as their perspectives will be included in an upcoming episode. And now I'm going to read to you what Ballet Victoria responded with. So this was addressed to me and my boss. Following the email on August 3rd, 2020, you sent to Mr. Destrooper. The subject matter was brought before the Board of Directors of Ballet Victoria. The Board has directed me to respond by this letter. We at Ballet Victoria and the Ballet Victoria Conservatory take our obligations as employer, mentor, teacher, and in some cases caretaker of our dancers and other artistic staff seriously. We adhere strictly to a zero-tolerance policy for any form of harassment, bullying, discrimination, or other inappropriate conduct. Our staff, students, and volunteers are always our number one priority. Ballet Victoria regularly examines and reviews its policies to expand or improve its human resource policies. Ballet Victoria follows the CHRC and WorkSafe BC guidelines. Apart from this, the board is of the view that it would be inappropriate to attempt to respond to allegations or even innuendos from unnamed sources conveyed over an email. I hope that this addresses your concerns to your satisfaction. Yours truly, Rosemary Liscom, the president of the board of directors of Ballet Victoria. So that email was to be expected, um, but that was all that that side wanted to give. And much like the women from the previous episode, when the powers intact could not provide a solution, the only option was telling their story in their own words. Before we go, could I ask you one more question? Mm-hmm. Um, what was the point where you sort of shifted in your mindset um, where you weren't scared anymore and that you wanted to speak to me? Um, 
it's it's been really gradual um i released a statement to the website whistle while you work um i think i just discovered that website on facebook a couple years ago or a year ago year and a half ago um and i saw that there's a register there and you can share your story of sexism or abuse in dance anonymously you can just put it out there and people will read it and when I read all those stories on there I thought oh my god I have to share mine I have to share what I know and what I went through because all these women or men I'm not sure anyone can come forward all these people are coming forward with their own stories and they're being so brave and they're helping to spread awareness like real awareness about what goes on behind the scenes in dance and so I thought I have to share my story and I was really really scared I was like shaking typing it up and I didn't even write it in the most concise comprehensive way but I just wrote it and I shared it and I said please don't share my name I'm so scared that he's going to come after me um so that was kind of like the start of me feeling more comfortable sharing my story um I've shared it with a few people on Facebook that I know. Um, some people in the dance community have seen it. And my friend who will speak to you or has spoken to you already, and we've been talking about this a lot, and she said, I'm really ready. I'm ready to do this. And I said, yeah, me too. I don't want to be quiet anymore. I don't want him to get away with anything. So it's gradual. And I think I think this is just perfect timing. Like her and I were both ready to really come forward and we were just deciding like, how should we do it? Should we write a blog? Should we do a video? And then, you know, finding out that you were wanting to speak to people about Bruce Monk, we were like, I think we got to talk to her about Ballet Victoria because it's a piece of the puzzle. And Kayla is right. It is a piece of the puzzle. But how exactly do these two things fit together? These two very seemingly different stories influence each other. When Kayla reached out to me, the timing of her experience at Ballet Victoria coincided with Bruce Monk's. And once his case blew up and he had left, the director, Paul de Super, allegedly commented on the situation. Could you describe the moment that uh, Paul de Struper kind of sat you down and sort of addressed that situation? Did you know coming in who Bruce Monk was and that there was this big story surrounding him at the time? Um, well, when I first joined Ballet Victoria, I didn't know who Bruce was. Um, and I was actually, at first, I was really excited to meet him because he said he was a photographer with the Royal Winnipeg and he taught there sometimes. And he showed us some of his photos and he had this beautiful photo of one of my old dance teachers when she was dancing in the company. And I thought, wow, it's so beautiful. It's so nice to have that connection in a way. Um, so I, I didn't know anything about the allegations at that point. I just thought, you know, he was a really nice man and he never did anything that stood out to me as wrong. And then he left within a week and I never saw him again. So um, he didn't really come back into mind until the allegations came out in 2015. And as soon as they came out, the day after that, Paul sat us all down as a company and said, I don't want anyone talking about these allegations. Um, they're all lies. 
all these women are lying. They were all 18. They decided to take nude photographs and that was their choice. And now they regret it. That's kind of how he phrased it. Mm. And I think he especially sat us down for this talk because us as a company, we were about to perform um, some of Bruce's work for our final show. So I think he really wanted us to keep a lid on it and not say anything. So these experiences, the ones we heard in the previous episode and the ones just outlined, are quite different in nature. Linked on the surface by the fact that Paul Struper contacted Bruce Monk to work at Ballet Victoria at a time when he was being investigated. And once the public caught wind of that, he was let go. But really, it's more than that. And to understand that sentiment, I pulled up a section of the Statement of Claim under the section Liability of Bruce Monk, and I'm going to read it to you. Section 31. As an adult, teacher, and employee of the ballet, Monk enjoyed a special position of power, authority, and trust vis-a-vis Sarah and the student class, all of whom were minors when they first met Monk, as well as students over whom he exercised special power and control. At all material times, Monk owed Sarah and the student class a duty of care and fiduciary duty to act in their best interests and not abuse his dominant position in relation to them, nor exploit their vulnerabilities or dependency on him, nor betray the trust they reposed in him, nor otherwise act disloyally towards them by placing his own selfish interests ahead of theirs. And in the statement of defense of Bruce Monk, he responded to this paragraph. And I'm going to read that to you now. With respect to paragraph 31 of the statement of claim, Monk states that he did not enjoy a special position of power, authority, trust, or otherwise in his dealings with Doucette or any of the members of the said classes. So not that he didn't exploit a position of privilege or power, he doesn't acknowledge he had one in the first place. The interesting thing about this case is that those photos exist, and Bruce Monk doesn't deny taking them. What's up for question is the morality and legality attached to those actions. What we know today is that those actions are harmful, and these women's allegations, even though they couldn't get legal action, what happened to them is still wrong. Just because in the 80s it wasn't recognized by law doesn't mean that those choices don't come with a heavy price tag that Sarah and Serena and all of the other women don't live with every day. And what's more, he was allowed to work again. And only when the public spoke up was he let go. When we started this, I mentioned what this podcast was going to be about. But only after we have heard all of these stories of these women can we understand the full breadth of this issue. What happened at the Royal Winnipeg Ballet was the tip of the iceberg, and beneath it are so many Ballet Victorias supporting it. I started this podcast asking you a question, and I'm going to end with one. How can a community start to do the work so that it doesn't take 70-plus women to come forward for action? If stories like the ones you heard on today's podcast aren't addressed, 
and breaking it down even further, the outdated aspects of this art aren't recalibrated to take into account everything we currently know about abuse today. How can we do better? Are adjustments enough? I guess my my question to you would be, having spent a long time in that environment, um, what would your hopes be that it would change? Do you think that Paul the Stripper should be removed from that role because because of his issues, we should call them? Um, <laughs> or do you think there should just be an adjustment or someone should look into it? Um, it's really hard to say that an adjustment or even someone looking into it would be enough because when I was there, multiple people attempted to talk to the board of directors about Paul. Um, I reached out to our HR person, so to speak. And like many times I had meetings with this person and he would tell me, oh, Paul has a heart of gold. He has ADHD. It's hard for him. He has anxiety. We need to give him a break. And I, I just felt so shot down that I didn't pursue any further action. So I don't think that it's enough because people have been trying to ask for adjustments to be made and to ask for someone to look into it, and no one will, you know? Well, even after many dancers have come to the board of directors and asked or just told them what's going on, like nothing ever changes. So for me, what I would like to see, just for the safety of any dancer who works there, I think it'd be best if he wasn't director at all. Personally. Yeah. I mean, that's it's, and I'm not the only one who has this story. I know there's lots of people who are afraid to come forward is the you know, fear because... for legal reasons? Sorry, could you repeat that? Sorry, is the fear for legal reasons like um, you would be sued by him for slander? Um, that's part of it. There's a fear of legal action being taken, um, but it's also uh, the repercussions of speaking out in such a small dance community. Canada is not as big as we think. Um, all these directors of major companies know each other and I've had people that I've worked with now say oh I know Paul how was it dancing with him you know and it's really hard to answer that because you don't want to rock the boat you don't want to be seen as difficult but at the same time there's a part of me inside that just wants to be honest and say it wasn't okay what happened to me so I think that's it's the it's the fear of repercussion really most of all like you don't want to be seen as difficult in this world. I feel like people like Bruce and people like Paul or anyone who abuses their position of power and hurts women they tiptoe around that line where it's like oh well it's kind of legal or I wasn't charged with a crime so it's okay. You know they tiptoe on that line of well, morally, maybe it's questionable, but legally, I'm okay. You know, it's it's kind of like even what happened to me dancing in that company. Like, it was all, you know, you could write it off as ballet is a really hard profession. He was just really hard on you. This is how it is. It's how it's always been. You know, and there's no recourse for what happened to me 
you know? Yeah, it's it's to the line where it's not prosecutable, but it leaves a pretty big dent, I would say. Like, yes, I, I, it's so true. It's almost like these people follow the same guidebook of how to abuse women. And I think in the dance world, too, um, you know, there's such limited work and it's so competitive that if you have a good connection, you don't want to lose it. So I think for those girls, you know, I won't speak on their behalf, but what I imagine they felt was, um, you know, this is Bruce Monk. He's always been so nice to me. He's always been so kind. This is going to help my career taking these headshots. I need good headshots, you know, and he's going to help me and they trust him. So they go. And before they know it, it turns into a situation that they didn't want and where they're being taken advantage of. And in my situation, it's absolutely not the same. It's totally not the same. But it's similar in the sense where I'm desperate to work. I just want to dance. Um, here's a person who's hired me. I'm feeling like, okay, this is it. I'm, my career is going to take off after this. I'm going to be working. I'm happy. And then it just slowly devolves into like, into hell, basically. And then I'm so desperate to work that I don't leave. I don't feel like I can leave. And I think he said this in a news statement as well. He said, I have such a strong stance against abuse. And, you know, I, when I read that, I remember the news article came out and I read that and I was just like, shaking crying like so angry I was like how can you say that after everything you did and it wasn't just verbal it escalated into physical too and it's like how can you say that when you are an abuser are you dancing currently now I am yeah I'm a freelance dancer um luckily <laughs> I after taking a break from dance when I left Ballet Victoria. I started dancing again about six months after that. And um, I'm a freelance dancer now. I've danced with multiple different companies. Um, I also do commercial work and film and TV. So, you know, I'm happy now and I feel like I have my own set of connections. But for a while, I was really scared that he was going to come after me in some way. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's really discouraging, and it did discourage me for a long time. That's why I stopped dancing for a good six months because I thought this must be what it's like everywhere, and I can't put myself through it again because I used to love to dance, and being there just took it all away. And and since you've danced in other companies, and it's not that way, is it? No, I think that it can be. I think that leaders in dance have a lot of work to do. Um, you know, he's not the only bad director out there. We, as dancers, we have our own quiet stories that we share. And we all, almost all of us have struggled in a situation similar, maybe not as bad, but similar. Um, that being said, I've worked with some really great people since then and it's helped me realize that I am an artist and I'm a person and I have value and I deserve to be treated fairly and treated well because I'm offering my 
art and my expression to my director, to a show, and that's worth something. And just as a person, I deserve to be treated with respect. And I've learned that since leaving Ballet Victoria, working with amazing people, amazing choreographers, you know, so I'm, I'm so fortunate to have been shown the other side, the good side of dance. But my heart breaks for anyone who can't or hasn't found that yet, or maybe they're still at Ballet Victoria and they don't know that they deserve better. My heart really breaks for them. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a really beautiful way that you put it, that it's almost, that it's something you're offering, because I feel like in dance, people can be made to feel like avatars almost, you know, just mm-hmm. like do what you're told, but you really are bringing your own artistic expression to it. And that's valuable. Yeah, absolutely. You're, this is something I learned doing some film work too. Like your image is worth something. That's your image that a brand or a show or whatever, they're going to use your image to sell a product, to make money, to play a character. But that's you. You as a person are expressing yourself and using yourself and maybe using your body and movement to, you know, advertise or create. And that's worth something. So why isn't it worth something in dance? You know, I'm not a nobody. I'm not a blank canvas. I am a person. And I'm here to share your message, but also share a piece of myself. And that's really worth something. This episode was produced by Sarah Solman. I'd like to thank all the women that took the time to speak with me to make this episode happen. And tune in next week for the next episode of Taking Up Space.